Thanks for joining us today. Our church exists to give everyone, everywhere, every reason to know Jesus. You can learn more by connecting with us on Facebook at Journey Fellowship Denton. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy today's message. But in 2 Kings 4, beginning in verse 13, I preached out of this passage a couple weeks ago. And how many of you remember that message of making room for the Lord? If you don't remember that, you need to go back and refresh yourself because that was a word for, from the Lord, I believe, for our church and not just, not just a timely message, but I think it was appointed uh, for us to hear that. So in 2 Kings chapter 4, we have the story of a Shunammite woman. The, the scripture describes this entire chapter, a widow with oil, and, and then there's a Shunammite woman that comes along, and the, the, the power of God that works through the prophet Elisha to meet these needs. As I preached a couple weeks ago, this couple, this family, the Shunammite woman and her husband had built an extra room there for the prophet as he was passing through and he came in and they, they made a quarters because they didn't want the presence of God to just pass them by. They wanted the presence of God to stay. How many of you want the presence of God to remain upon you and in your house? And so they wanted to make room for the presence of the Lord, for the power of God to be displayed in their own family, in their own home. And so they built that extra room. But that wasn't the end of the story. Probably the most important part of the story was to come. In verse 13, the Scripture reads, I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. I just like some of the words that it uses. 2 Kings 4.13 says, And Elisha said to Gehazi, Tell her, We appreciate the kind concern you have shown us. What can we do for you? Can we put in a good word for you to the king or to the commander of the army? And I want you to listen to her response. No, she replied. My family takes good care of me. One translation says, I live in my own home. I live in the home among my people. I'm good. So later, Elisha asked Gehazi, what can we do for her? She doesn't have a son, and her husband is an old man. Call her back again, Elisha said. When the woman returned, Elisha said to her as she stood in the doorway, next year at this time you will be holding a son in your arms. No, my Lord, she cried. Oh, man of God, don't deceive me. And notice these words. And get my hopes up like that. Don't, don't tell me something, man of God, and get my hopes. Don't get me all stirred up on the inside so that I start really thinking something is going to happen. Don't do that to me because I've been down that road before. How many of you have ever been down that road before? If you're honest, we would all probably raise our hands. Don't get my hopes up too high. Verse 17, But sure enough, the woman soon became pregnant. And at that time, the following year, she had a son, just as Elisha had said. And one day when her child was older, he went out to help his father, who was working in, with the harvesters. And suddenly he cried out, my head hurts, my head hurts. And his father said to one of the servants, carry him to his mother. So the servant took him home, and his mother held him on her lap. But around noontime, he died. She carried him up and laid him on the bed of the man of God. And then she shut the door and left him there. You know, it's something. 
when tragedy happened in the life of this Shunammite woman, where does the first place that she takes her concern? She takes it to the room that she had created for the presence of God. Isn't that powerful? And so she sent a message to her husband, send one of the servants and a donkey so that I can hurry to the man of God and come right back. Why go today? He asked. It's neither new moon festival nor the Sabbath. What he's saying is he's saying he's not having church. It's not time. It's not Sunday. It's not church time. And he's not having revival this week. Why do you want to go to try to find the prophet? He probably won't even be there. And if he's there, he may not even see you. But she said, and look at these words on the screen, it will be all right. Can we just say that together? It will be all right. Say it a little bit more like you mean it. It will be all right. And so she saddled the donkey and she said to the servant, hurry, don't slow down unless I tell you to. About a 13-mile ride for a woman on a donkey. Let me tell you something. I can go 13 miles with a woman in a nice car, and sometimes uh, she has more to say about that than, than I do. But on a donkey, she said, don't slow down. Don't slow down. Verse 25, and she approached the man of God at Mount Carmel, and Elisha saw her in the distance. He said to Gehazi, look, the woman from Shunem is coming. Run out to meet her and ask her, is everything all right with you, with your husband, and with your child. Notice her reply. Yes, the woman told Gehazi, everything is fine. Or you could say, everything is all right. But when she came to the man of God at the mountain, she fell to the ground before him and caught hold of his feet. Gehazi began to push her away, but the man of God said, leave her alone. She is deeply troubled. But the Lord was told, but the Lord has not told me what it is. And she said, Didn't I, did I ask you for a son, my Lord? And didn't I say, don't deceive me and get my hopes up? And then Elisha said to Gehazi, get ready to travel. Take my staff and go. Don't talk to anyone along the way. Go quickly and lay the staff on the child's face. But the boy's mother said, as surely as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I won't go home unless you go with me. I'm not leaving you. So Elisha returned with her. Skip down to verse 35. Elisha being there in the house several times, several, several moments. He got up. He was in the room with the boy. He got up. He walked back and forth across the room once, and then he stretched himself out again on the child. And this time the boy sneezed seven times and opened his eyes. Then Elisha summoned Gehazi, called the child's mother, he said, and when she came in, Elisha told her, here, take your son. And she fell at his feet, bowed before him, overwhelmed with gratitude. And then she took her son in her arms and she carried him downstairs. Father, I pray this morning that you would just give us strength. Lord, to hear the word of the Lord, I pray that God, that you would help me, Lord, today. Set aside any distraction from our minds, Lord, and God, from our hearts and lord let us receive lord the word of life unto our spirits today encourage us give us strength in jesus name amen amen praise the lord you know in the last several months i believe one of the greatest casualties in our culture and in our society and, and in families people across 
the United States and across the world has been the casualty of hope. I believe hope has been one of the greatest casualties that we have seen uh, among people. The volatility of hope has caused people to fall into a wasteland of depression and futility. There was a recent Harvard study that I read just this week that said that the increase of suicidal thoughts among young adults has increased significantly beyond, beyond what it has normally been. Beyond that, people have had to adjust to working from home. They've had to adjust from experiencing pay cuts or, or losing a job that they were told would never come back. People have had to experience the changes in, in their family and in, and in the way they earn their living and, and in how they do go about just the regular routine ways of life. And because of that volatility of, of you hear one day that there is an answer to all this problem and then the next day the answer doesn't come or there's, this is going to get fixed and this doesn't get fixed. And the hopes of people across our country and across the world have just been riding this incredible roller coaster. I know that some of you have felt that. I have felt a little bit of that as well in my own life where you see just this rise and fall. And many people at this point don't believe that life and that our life in this generation and this time will ever return to normal kind of the way it used to be. I mean, we look around today and we see exceptional things going on things that we aren't used to. I think that probably the greatest pandemic, not just necessarily that COVID is, is bad, but the greatest pandemic is probably right now hopelessness. There is just a sense of hopelessness among so many people. Just so eager to, to get things that are going to fix all of the dilemmas and all of the problems and the jobs and the, and the sickness and the illnesses, there is just something that people need an answer to and it is their pandemic, the problem and the sickness of hopelessness in their own life. Let me just tell you what I am here today to do. I'm here to tell you something this morning that I believe God laid on my heart. He laid it on my heart several weeks ago. I want you to to hear the words that I'm going to speak to you that are going to echo the words of this Shunammite woman. And this is what I want you to know this morning. Everything is going to be all right. I want you to get that down in your heart. With all of the things going on in our world, all of the things going on in, in uh, this era of pandemics and, and unrest and chaos around the world, can I just tell you this? Everything is going to be all right. And if you are a child of God, if you are a believer, and your faith is in Jesus Christ, friends, stop worrying. Stop fretting. Stop being anxious about tomorrow or what, to, what the next month is going to bring, what next year is going to be. Can I just echo this woman's words with great faith and tell you everything is going to be all right? You can stand on it this morning. You can stand on the fact that God is still in control. He's going to take care of you. He's going to watch over you. He is going to, to be in the middle of whatever you're going through, whatever personal problem and circumstance you may find yourself in today. He's standing right in the middle of it. I want you to know that Jesus is still the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and everything is going to be all right. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You need to hear that in your life. You need to hear that when it comes to your job. You need to hear that when it comes to your family. You need to hear that when you're nervous about sending your kids to school. Everything's going to be all right, friends. 
Everything's going to be all right. So how do you get there? How do you get to that place where that woman is walking down the road with a dead son upstairs at home, with problems surrounding her mind? How do you get to the place where when you're asked, hey, what do you think? Are you okay? And you respond, everything is going to be all right. How do you get there? I mean, let's be real. You can say the words, but that doesn't just fix everything. We can get happy in church, and we can talk about it, but, and, and, but you don't have Leslie playing in the organ in the background every day of your life. How do you get to that place where you can say that? Let me just show you with an illustration. I've told this illustration before. There was a study that was done by a doctor out in California from Stanford, and he studied a process that he came up with, and he called this process learned helplessness. They took an elephant, and I told this story before. I've used portions of this story. Where they take a baby elephant. How do you have an elephant that's standing in a circus, and he's staked to a little wooden stake that's only driven about four inches deep in the ground, tied with a little bitty rope around his foot? How do you keep an adult elephant to stand there? He could break that rope, pull that stake up, and run through the tent if he wanted to. How does that happen? It happens because when those elephants are babies, they tie a big chain to their leg and they put it on a steel pole and they know that 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 cannot be moved. And what that little elephant does is as he's growing up and he feels like he wants to move around, when he gets to the end of that chain, it pops and he can't go anywhere and it holds him still. Every time he wants to move forward, he goes out, and when he gets to the end of that chain, it stops him. And over the course of many times of repetition, there is a sense of helplessness that begins to develop in this baby elephant's mind and in his being. Until when he gets to an adult, you can tie him with a small rope to a small stake and he won't go because he knows that if he, he, he has done that so many times that at the end of that rope is the dead end. And so he quits. And this doctor studied this. It was called learned helplessness. Friends, we can learn to be helpless in our life. We can learn that we, we teach ourselves limitations. And I want you to know the world will teach you limitations. And if you allow those things to come and become embedded in your life, what you will do is you will live in a very small circle of your world. And you will be limited. You won't look beyond. Your dreams and your hopes and your, your, the visions that God has for you will be so far out of reach that you won't even try anymore. You'll just stand right where you're at and let life pass you by. This doctor also studied a pile of rats. Now, I'm not a big rat fan, and I couldn't work in a lab because of those nasty things, but he took a bunch of rats and he threw them into a tank of water. And as he Threw them in this water, he timed how long that they would swim. They swam for about 10 minutes, and after 10 minutes of paddling, trying to get out of this circular tub, water tub, all of these rats drowned. I would say that's a great thing. That's a good amen right there. Thank God all them rats drowned. So he took another group of rats, and he put them in that water tub, and he let them swim around, 
And after about nine and a half minutes, when he could tell the rats were getting a little bit anxious, they were getting a little bit nervous, they were, they were starting to try to climb on each other and push each other under just to try to survive, they, you, he could tell that there was, they were losing hope of ever getting out of this, of this uh, tub of water. They were going to drown. They began to believe these rats began to think they were about to drown. They knew it. In nine and a half minutes, he scoops those rats up out of that water. He places them on a solid table. He dries them off. He gives them water to drink and food to eat. Fluffs them up. And then he takes all those rats and puts them right back in that water. You know what happens to these rats? They swim for 18 minutes. After 18 minutes, he sees them start to panic. They start getting on top of each other. He does the same thing again. He pulls all these rats up out of this water tub. He dries them off. He gives them a little more food. He gives them a small break. He gives them some water to drink. He scoops them back up. He throws them back into this tub of water. Guess what? They swim for 37 minutes. He does it again. This goes on over the course of 37 hours. Each time the rats double the amount of time that they're able to swim and last in the water. Here's my understanding of that study, and here's the conclusion of that. If you can learn helplessness, you can also learn hopelessness or hopefulness. You can learn to be hopeful. If you can learn how to be helpless, you can also learn how to be hopeful. Let me tell you something. I want the rats to preach to you this morning. I want you to know that this morning, if you can recover your hope, if you can just recover and lay hold of the hope that the Lord is still on the throne, you can keep swimming no matter what the waves do, no matter what the circumstances in your life, no matter what's taking place. You can keep moving forward, standing in faith. All you need to know is there is a hand that's going to reach down just about the time you think you're going under, and He's going to pull you out. He's going to save you. Friends, everything is going to be all right because He's still going to give you hope. So let the rats talk to you this morning. That same study that this Stanford doctor did, the United States military took up. And per usual... Our military spent $145 million developing a program that would help keep soldiers hopeful on the battlefield. The funny thing is, is that everything that they discovered can be found in Scripture. Everything that they conclude, all of the conclusions, the conclusions of $145 million can be found right out of the Word of God. I wish they'd have paid me to have that study done. I wish they'd have started with me. What they found out are five steps that soldiers need to be hopeful and to, and to maintain hope on the battlefield. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to give you those five steps to being all right. That's my title today. Five steps to being all right. I want to, I want to bring you back just to something that you need to know. 
And that is this. That the smallest level of faith is hope. The smallest element of faith is hope. Now we know this, that without faith, the Bible says it is what? It's impossible to please God. And the smallest element of faith is hope. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this. It says that for faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. You see, when you have faith in your life, faith doesn't usually begin as that mountain-moving faith. It's not that faith that, that all of a sudden shakes the world around you. The faith that you usually begin with as you grow up in the Lord begins with just simple hope. It's just a simple hope. It's a hope that maybe your kids are going to get off drugs. It's a hope that your marriage is going to improve. It's a hope that, that you're, you're going to land that job to help take care of your family. It's the hope that you're going to find the person that God has, has for you for the rest of your life. That's that simple hope, that simple desire, that simple fulfillment of believing that that wish, that want, that desire that you have is going to be fulfilled. Faith begins with hope. And that's exactly what the rats figured out. That when it was about at nine and a half minutes, they would just keep on swimming because they knew that there would be a hand that would reach in and pull them out. They were learning how to have faith because they were, they were learning that there was hope in the midst of their struggle. And that's exactly how it happens to us. Because we begin to believe that Lord, if the Lord has saved me once, He'll save me again. Come on. If the Lord has provided for me before, He'll do it again. If the Lord has, has brought a miracle about in my life once, He can do it again. If the Lord has done it in her, He can do it in me. If the Lord has done it in him, He can do it in me. And so the military took this whole idea of these, of these rats, this study, this doctor did. And they came up with five steps. And I'm going to give you those five steps this morning out of the story in 2 Kings chapter 4. If you look at verse 13 of 2 Kings 4, you'll notice something that the Shunammite does. These five things that are needed in order for a person to get to a place where they can say everything is going to be all right, number one is you have to have a positive emotional state. That's what the military came up with. A positive emotional state. That doesn't sound very churchy. You know why? Because a.k.a. a positive emotional state, what, what Christians call is the joy of the Lord. <laughs> That's a positive emotional state. The joy of the Lord. The Shunammite woman had a positive emotional state. Elisha could have called in some favors. He could have introduced her, as the Scripture says, to the commanders of the army and to the king. He could have done all these things. But you know what her answer was? Thanks, but no thanks. I'm good. I'm content. I'm just fine the way I am. You know, well, that's a rare attitude in the world today. Contentment is a rare attitude. Having the joy of the Lord is a rare attitude. You see, contentment doesn't focus on the world around us. It focuses on the world within us. And that's exactly what the definition of the joy of the Lord is. It doesn't matter what my circumstances are. It doesn't matter what's going on outwardly in my life. I know that inwardly I am blossoming like a spring garden because the joy of the Lord, Nehemiah 10 says, 8.10, I, I know that the joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul had this same attitude in Philippians chapter 4. 
Paul says these words. He says, I've learned to be content. I've learned to have the joy of the Lord, whatever my circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to be have plenty. I, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do everything who gives me strength. What is the strength that comes to us? Nehemiah 8.10, is it? What is it? The joy of the Lord is my strength. Paul said, it's Him who gives me strength. How does it come? It comes in the method of the joy of the Lord. No matter what's going on on the outside, no matter what's coming from Washington, D.C., no matter what's coming from the next published article in the American Medical Journal, I want you to know that the strength that I have is that the joy with inside me can weather every storm, every circumstance, every bit of news, I'm not going to change. No matter what they say about this virus or whatever's coming in America, I want you to know the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I can be content. I can learn to manage my wants. That's really what it means. I can learn to find satisfaction whatever my circumstances are. I can learn to make do. This military study said that the way to have a positive emotion, now listen to this, the way to have a positive emotion is to have a hero that has been through a challenge to the point of death but has emerged out victorious now my goodness didn't they just read the bible it wouldn't take 145 million for me to figure that out just give me a 45 that's fine or 100 find a hero that's been through a struggle that came out on the other side victorious friends how much more explanation do we need to know that we have a hero and he has been to calvary and he went put in the grave but three days later he arose he's been to death's door he walked through hell itself and he came out victorious Therefore, I have joy as my strength because I know no matter what comes my way, it's not going to change the fact that everything's going to be all right. He's been there, and he's going to see me through it. He's going to see me through it. John 15, Jesus said, I want this joy to, that I have in me to be your joy. I want it to be, it to be complete. And before you leave here today, I just want to tell you, I refuse to let you go home this, this afternoon, hopefully this morning. I refuse to let you go home today listening to this continued focus on defeat and depression and helplessness and hopelessness and that things aren't going to get worse and that the future is not very bright and that we're in for a dark winter. Friends, my God says that everything is going to be all right. So just trust the Lord. Walk away from that defeatist mentality and walk in hope. Walk in the joy of the Lord, that positive emotional state, because it's going to be all right. The second thing that they found out was that a soldier needs to have continual engagement. If you look at verse 14 and 15 of that passage in 2 Kings chapter 14, you see that Elisha calls this Shunammite woman on several occasions. 
And on each occasion, she responds. She comes to the doorway of his room. It would have been inappropriate for her to enter into his room. He sends a servant. She, the servant talks to her. And then she comes to his room. She stands, as the Scripture says, she stands in the doorway. And she begins to discuss Elijah's, Elisha's offer of, hey, I'll give you what you need. I'll give you what you want. What is it that you're looking for? She continually engaged the presence of God. She continually went back. If you're going to overcome, if you're going to rise, if you're going to learn how to, how to have that all right, everything is all right attitude, you have to continually engage. You have to come off the bench and get back into the game. I want to tell you that, friends. You have to get off the bench. You have to quit sitting on the sidelines. You have to get back into the game. Do what has to be done to get back into the game. Otherwise, what you'll do is you'll sit there and you will die from lack of engagement. You'll never receive what, the, what God wants to give you if you sit back and you just say, no, I'm not going to respond. You continually engage God, continually engage the presence of the Lord. That's what the Shunammite woman did. She continually came back. Every time he called her, she would come back. Though publicly she was content, here's what I want you to see. She had no complaints publicly, but privately there was a cemetery in her heart where she had buried hope. If you look at the Scripture, she had buried that hope. She said, don't tell me something that I'm just going to raise my hopes. Don't, I've buried that a long time ago. Let me just explain something to you. I want you to know the difference between a want and a hope. A want is a desire or a wish. But hope is the belief that that desire or wish will happen. Listen to what Paul says in Romans chapter 8. He says, hope, but hope that is seen is not hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. Hope says the thing that I want is actually going to come to me. That's what hope says. A lot of us have a lot of desires and have a lot of wishes. But hope says that's going to become a reality in my life. And that is the basis of what faith is because faith continues to move you forward down that road. Faith puts your feet on the ground and says, I want you to walk toward that hope. That has been placed in your life. There's a lot of people who are hoping for a lot of things. They're hoping that their family would get back together. Let me tell you something. That is a part, that's the first step of faith. You begin to move toward that direction. It's not a want or a wish. It's hope. You put your hope in Him who can provide the answer for that need and that, that want to be met. I'm reminded of the story in Mark chapter 9. It's a story of a, of a, of a father who has a son and his son is possessed by an evil spirit. And the scripture goes like this in verse 17 of Mark 9. I want to read it because I want you to hear it. A man in the crowd spoke up and said, Teacher, I brought my son so you could heal him. He's possessed by an evil spirit but won't let him, and that won't let him talk. And whenever the spirit seizes him, it throws him violently to the ground. Then he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I ask your disciples, to cast out the evil spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said to them, You faithless people, how long must I be with you? How long must I put up with you? Bring the boy to me. So they brought the boy, and when the evil spirit saw Jesus, it threw the child into a violent convulsion, and he fell to the ground, writhing and foaming at the mouth. 
He asked, how long has, he, has this been happening? Jesus asked the boy's father, and notice his reply. Since he was a little boy. The Spirit often throws him into the fire, into water, trying to kill him. Have mercy on us and help us if you can. What do you mean if I can, Jesus asked. Anything is possible if a person believes. And the father instantly cried out, listen to these words, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. It seems paradoxical, doesn't it? I believe, help me overcome what I don't believe. Let me explain that to you. In other words, what he's saying, he's saying, I do believe. I have no doubt, Jesus, in your ability. I have no doubt in who you are. But what I'm struggling with is getting my hopes up again. What was it that the Shunammite woman was having trouble with? Oh, don't, don't get my hopes up again. I'm having trouble. The same then, this father dealing with his child. I'm having trouble getting my hopes up again. How long has he been like? He's been like this since a little boy. You see, what I'm struggling with, Jesus, is we've been to every doctor and no doctor can help us. I hope that one could, but nothing ever happened. What I'm struggling with, Jesus, is I hope someone would come along that could help us, but no help has ever come. What I'm struggling with, Jesus, is I hope that something would happen when your disciples even prayed for him. But even after they prayed, nothing happened. I'm just, I'm, it's hard for me to get my hopes up. Anybody know what I'm talking about? You've worked through that process so many times, and you say, oh, I believe you, Jesus. I know who you are. I know what you can do. But you've got to help me because I just, I don't know if I can get my hopes up again. We've been there. We know what that's like. This Shunammite woman was having a hard time getting her hopes up again. Engaging. She was having a hard time engaging. We have to engage the presence of God again. Let me tell you, in our day, we need to engage the presence of God now more than ever. So much hopelessness rampant around our culture and around people's lives there are people sitting at home today right now that are hopelessly out of jobs out of a future they don't know what to do what's coming next things have changed so radically in their lives over the last five or six months they don't know what to do they don't know where to turn can i tell you the best thing that they can do is to turn toward the presence of god because when you engage the presence of god you are inviting the hope of life into yourself you're inviting the presence of the Lord to come and instill hope, to give you that simple faith to stop, to stop looking back and start marching forward again. Some of you are closer to your answer than you think you are if you'll just engage the presence of God once again. You thought about giving up, just remember that there is a faithful hand that will dip himself, his hand down into, into that pool of water you're struggling in and he'll pull you out he'll dry you off feed you he'll encourage you the third thing that they came up with was the idea that you have to have reliable relationships look at verse 22 verse 22 of second kings chapter 4 she sent a message to her husband she said send one of the servants and a donkey that i can carry that i can hurry to the man of god and come back, and he asks her, as we read earlier, why do you want to go today? 
It's not the new moon festival. It's not the Sabbath. And she said, it's all going to be all right. You see, she had built a relationship with the man of God. Every time the scripture says that he would come through and pass that way, that this couple would have a place. She must have been a pretty good cook because that's, what it, that's all it took. You know what? If you want to get a preacher to stay around, just cook him a meal. That's how it started. She just invited him to supper. I want you to come. I want you to have dinner with us. And it developed into a relationship that she was engaged with and that her husband was a part of. They were engaged in this long reliable relationship where it wasn't just some strange uh, man that came through. They engaged him. They knew each other. And you can see it later in verse 29 and 30 when she comes running up toward uh, the man of God and he says, Gehazi, isn't that? That's the Shunammite woman. That's the woman that we've stayed with. Look, go see what she needs. Go talk to her. Elisha knew who she was. It was a reliable relationship there. You, you not only have to relate, develop that relationship with the Lord, you need to develop those relationships with each other. One of the greatest causes of hopelessness in our life is when we isolate ourselves alone. That's the reason why the increase in depression, the increase in discouragement, the increase in suicides and different things that are taking place in our culture now is because people have been isolated. Or quarantine. Now, I'm not saying that that's bad. If you're, if you're sick, quarantine yourself. Stay away from me. Isolate yourself. I don't want what you got. It may be worse than COVID. I don't know. But they, I, we, when we isolate ourselves, and we isolate ourselves, what I'm talking about is from relationships. You've got to be, be able to continually engage in those reliable relationships. You have to develop those relationships. You have to restore relationships. If you want to get back to a place where everything's going to be all right, then you've got to get back to a place where you can have everybody around. Now, I know that's hard, but we've got to find a way to, to make that happen. Joshua 23.10 says that one can put 1,000 to flight and two can put 10,000 to flight. The Scripture says that where any two or three agree together. Let me tell you something. There's power in numbers. There's power in relationships. We need each other more than you realize. Just look at your person down the road or across the aisle or whatever and just say, I need you. I, I need you. Come on, this is participation time. This is like, I need you. I need you. We need each other, especially in a time when there's a lack of hope. We need each other to encourage one another on. We need those reliable relationships. We need people that we can bounce ideas off. We need each other. The devil is the one who divides in relationships. Come on, somebody. The devil is the one who seeks to divide homes and families and, and people and nations and cultures into pieces. That's the devil's work. But it doesn't matter what our differences might be. What we need to remember is that both, all of us, if you know Jesus Christ, we are children of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And when you're sick, it hurts me and I want to encourage you. When I'm sick, it should hurt you and it would encourage us both because we need those reliable relationships. The fourth thing that they found out 
that I think they took from the Scripture is you have to focus on a mission. If you want the soldier to, have to, to maintain hopefulness in the middle of a battlefield, that soldier has to maintain focus on his mission, why he's there, what he's supposed to be doing, what is his purpose, what is his modus operandi, what is he supposed to be about. If you want to overcome in life, if you want to have hope, what you have to do is you have to have a mission. You have to be a part of something. Listen to me. You have to be part of something bigger than yourself. It's a very shallow life to live a life that's all about you. If you're not living your life in a bigger way than, what, than who you are, your life is going to be very shallow for you. You have to focus on the mission. You have to be a part of something that is bigger than yourself. You have to get past that, that hurt of your own self. You have to get past that divorce. You have to get past that failure, that setback that you had. And you have to focus yourself on what God has called you to do, what God has called you to be. That's what He wants you to see this morning. Because when you get past all those hopes or hurts and pains and, and scars and wounds of your past, and you begin to look at the mission that is lying in front of you, hope will begin to build in your heart and in your life because you won't see life as a tumble down a hill. You'll see life as the next mountain peak that you're going to be able to see over and see the other side. Jeremiah 29, 11 says it best when the Scripture says that he says, I know that I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans to make you successful, plans to give you hope, plans to give you a future. He's going to give you hope. He wants to give you a future. That's God's design for you. That's His purpose for you. Everybody in this room has a mission. Did you hear me? Everybody in this room has a mission. Not just if you're 16, 17, 18, 20 years old. You do not retire from the service of God. If you're 75, you still have a mission and you still have a purpose. And I'm thankful that in this church we have a lot of our seniors who are still engaged and plugging away and saying, you know what, the purpose that God has called me to will not be completed until the day I leave this earth. I'm staying on mission. I've got a, a, a focus that I'm going to accomplish so that when I stand before the Lord, He'll say, well done. So keep swimming, little rat. When all said and done, everything's going to be all right. Then lastly, there has to be a celebration of accomplishments. It's hard to have hope when you don't have any wins. You got to have wins. You need some victories. You need some fresh victories, not victories that you had back 15 years ago. You've got to have fresh victories. Because you can't just take that beating day after day, month after month, taking one hit after another, one hit after another. What you need is you need a fresh win from the Lord. You need a victory. You need a, you need a new testimony. You need a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately-Jesus story. Come on, are you hearing me? 
That's how you develop hope in your life. That's how you, you see those accomplishments. Romans 8.37 says, In all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. We're more than conquerors. We're, we're more than victorious. Some of you just haven't experienced very many wins lately. You haven't very, experienced very many fresh victories. It's not fresh on your mind. It's not fresh in your heart. But I want you to know, just because that hasn't happened, that doesn't mean that you're not still a conqueror. You know what a conqueror is? He's an overcomer. She's an overcomer. One who stands the test of time that when things get tough, when there, there, is, when there is pressure all around, when jobs go away and when, when sickness is rampant and when things change in their life, when there is, when there is a, an, a pandemic of hopelessness, there is still the overcomer and she's standing strong and she's going to stay faithful and she's going to stay chest out and she's going to say bless god i know that i'm going to make it because everything's going to be all right even when she's asked is your husband fine is your child fine in the back of her mind she knows that there may be a question about that she says everything's going to be fine you may not have had those victories lately but you're still a conqueror you're an overcomer some of you have overcome some incredible things if you just look back, some of you have overcome abuse in a childhood. Some of you have overcome tragedies in your family, the loss of, of loved ones. You've, you've, overcome, you've overcome challenging, challenging financial difficulties. You've overcome the heartbreak and the hurt of betrayal in your own family. You've, you've overcome those things. You're still here. Nobody would have expected you to even be here today, but you're still here. You're an overcomer. You're more than a conqueror. Oh, wait a second. That's different. You see, what a conqueror is, is a conqueror is an overcomer who stands firm, who comes out of the fire, successful, overcoming, victorious. But you're not just an overcomer. You're not just a conqueror. You're more than a conqueror. You know what a more than a conqueror is? A more than a conqueror is a person who doesn't just come out of that hell and stands victorious and overcomes. A more than a conqueror says, I've been through that hell and I'm going back to help somebody else out of that. That's what more than a conqueror is. You didn't just overcome it. You're more than an overcomer. You go help somebody else overcome. That's what that accomplishment means. You see, your accomplishment doesn't, and your celebration doesn't have to necessarily be your accomplishment and your achievement. It can be somebody else's that you were a part of. Come on. If you help somebody else, guess what? You can celebrate that accomplishment, and it will put hope into your life. Are you with me? It'll put hope into your life. Give yourself away. Start helping somebody that you've walked that path before and just encourage them. Say, look, you know what? I don't have a whole lot of hope, but I can help you out of your problem. And before you know it, that hope will begin to bubble up over in your life and you'll realize that God's doing something. Man, he's building your faith back up. He's building you from the inside out. He is, in, he is edifying your spirit and you are recognizing that, man, hope is growing in me. So let me close with this. Zechariah chapter 9, verse 12 says, We are made prisoners of hope. We have been made prisoners of hope. In our world today, people are prisoners of a lot of things. They're prisoners of fear. They're prisoners of worry. They're prison, prisoners of past wounds. They're prisoners of their past. They're prisoners of, 
of sin. They're prisoners of all things, which means that they're just chained to it. They're tied to that. Tied to that fear. Tied to that worry. Tied to that anxiety. Tied to that nervousness about the future. But the Bible says that God will empower a people in Zechariah chapter 9, that he will empower a people that when they find themselves in a crisis, that they will become a prisoner of hope. Now I want you to think about that. They will become a They will be chained to hope in the middle of a crisis. Instead of being chained to fear and chained to worry, as the people of God, the prophet Zechariah says, God's going to give you the ability to be chained, you will become a, you become a prisoner of hope. You're chained to hope. Friends, how did this woman, how was she able to walk down this dusty road toward this prophet knowing that her son lay dead upstairs in her own room? And when she was asked, is everything all right with your husband and with your child and with you? And she responds, everything is okay. How did she do that? It's because she was chained to hope. She was a prisoner of the hope of Jesus Christ. She was a prisoner of the hope that the one who set the world in its orbits was still on her side. In the days of COVID, days of the pandemic, friends, we need to be prisoners of hope. We need to be people who are tied to hope. No matter what comes our way, we can say everything's going to be all right because I'm a prisoner of the hope of Jesus Christ that lives within me. You can begin to believe again. You can begin to hope again. Because what the Lord has done in us is capable to carry us through. No matter what tomorrow brings. Now, I don't know what news you might get this week or next month or six months from now. I don't know what the world's going to look like in 30 days. But I do know one thing. That I echo the sentiment of that Shunammite woman. I know that my Redeemer lives. And because I know that, everything's going to be all right. Amen? I want you to bow your heads this morning. As we pray this morning, here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about that worry and fear and doubt that you may have dealing with in your heart today. And I want you to look at it right there in your mind's eye. What is it? What is it? What's that big fear? Is it your family? Is it your, is it your marriage? Is it, is it financial? Is it your job? Maybe it's your children. Maybe it's a wayward son or wayward daughter. They grew up in church, but now they're far away from God. Maybe it's a health issue. Maybe it's something that you've been dealing with a long time and you're saying, Lord, I believe, but you have to help my unbelief. I, I, I can't get my hopes up too high because I've been down this road so many times. 
I want you to look at that problem that has dealt those thoughts to your mind. And I want you to look at it in your mind's eye and I want you to say these words. Say these words to yourself. Everything's going to be all right. I want you to say it. I want you to say it out loud, church, right now. I want you to say that everyone across this room, I just want to look at that in, in your own mind, in your own heart, whatever problem, whatever circumstance you're dealing with. I want you to say it right now. Say, everything's going to be all right. I want you to let your, let your confession begin to build faith in your life right now and just say, everything's going to be all right. It's going to be all right with my children. It's going to be all right with my family. It's going to be all right with my marriage. It's going to be all right with my future. It's going to be all right with my finances. It's going to be all right. Everything's going to be all right. Come on, begin to just confess that out right now. Everything's going to be all right. I believe it. My hope is in you. My faith is in you. My trust is in you, Lord. If you're struggling right now and you say, I just don't know, you just say, you're like that man in Mark chapter 9, and Lord, help my unbelief. I've, my hopes have been up and up and down so many times. I don't know if I can say it. I don't know if I can really believe it. Just say it out. Everything's going to be all right. Let your ears hear the confession of your mouth because out of the abundance of your heart, the mouth speaks. Let it come out of your heart. Not just something out of your head. Come out of your heart. Everything's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. It's going to work out. Everything's fine. God's got this. He's going to take care of me. He's going to be with me. He's going to control the situation for my good. Whatever comes against me shall not prosper. When the, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. I know that everything's going to be all right. It's going to be fine. I'm, I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. Lord Jesus, help us today. Help us, Lord, to have faith built upon the foundation of just simple hope. I pray, O oh God, that you would give those, Lord God, who are completely discouraged, Lord, in their lives, in futility and depression, Lord Jesus, this pandemic of hopelessness, Lord, it would be broken by God's people standing up. Lord, I believe the greatest days of the church stand in front of us, not behind us. Lord, I believe, that, Lord God, when the fire, Lord, is placed upon your people, that, Lord, we shall come forth, Lord, as pure gold. Lord, the dross will be burnt away, and, Lord, we will be purified, Lord, sanctified for your purposes. Lord Jesus, let us stand firm in the hope that you are our blessed hope. We ask, Lord Jesus, that you just cure this pandemic of hopelessness by placing your love and your grace, Lord God, in the midst of our life. Touch every person in this room this morning that's dealing with, Lord God, a difficult situation in their life. Give them hope to know that everything's going to be all right. Thanks for listening to this message. If you were blessed by this ministry, we want to encourage you to share it. And if you don't have a church home, come join us any Sunday at 1030.